Hey, everybody, it's Bills by the Numbers, presented by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Coming up, does Devin Singletary need some help in Buffalo's offensive backfield? And if so, what should that back look like? Why did field goal kickers completely tear it up this postseason? Our friends at 538.com explain. And Super Bowl 56 is the subject of our one burning question. Am I the only one ready for 2022 already? I mean, seriously, the 2022 season cannot come soon enough. I mean, I'm excited about the Super Bowl, but let's just get on with it. Can we just fast forward? I just want to fast forward to September and get the Bills back on the field again. Glad you could be here with us on Bills by the Numbers. Bills Wall of Famer Steve Tasker and Bills insider Chris Brown with you. And we come out of the starting blocks with Devin Singletary's career year in 2021, a single-season high, 870 yards, eight total touchdowns, almost 1,100 total yards from scrimmage, a healthy 4.6 yards per carry average, and very good in the red zone this year as well. But there is a prevailing thought, Steve, that the Bills still need to augment the position. Matt Breida was a speed element that they added last year, but he fell out of favor due to some fumbling issues. I personally would be surprised if he returns. I'm not ruling it out. They do still have Zach Moss, but he had a reduced role, as we know, as the season wore on. So what kind of back needs to be added to Buffalo's backfield this offseason to make it an even more talented contingent than it was this past season? Well, you just you got to find a good player, and you're trying to improve. Um, if you can get a guy that's better than Devin Singletary, better than Zach Moss, better than Matt Breida, he's going to play. Um, that's where they're at right now. And it's, it's never been – they've never been shy about trying to get a back or an offensive lineman or a wide receiver or you name the position that's better than what they have. So yeah. that's who it's going to be. And you can bet that if they do draft somebody, they're going to have some traits, some physical traits. One would probably be off the top of your head, of course, speed. They got, you need a guy that doesn't have that. Another one might be size. Uh, now, Zach Moss is bigger than Devin Singletary – but if you're going to talk about the, the prevailing trend in the NFL, you might be looking at like a 240-pound back, a 250-pound back uh, who can kind of run. Or at least you know? 230. Yeah, a big, heavy-duty, grinder, like, short yardage guy with some explosion. Like New England's Ramondre Stevenson. That, that was a guy That's they right. took in the fifth round or last Or a guy year. like a Justin Zimmer. Who we get. <laughs> you, you are banging that drum well, still. Yeah, the, he's, he's the obviously the Bills' defensive <laughs> tackle who can who can run. He's the guy that you know runs eighteen miles per hour. He can go. Uh, somebody with a physical trait that is unique, speed or size. Um, perhaps a, an Alvin Kamara type would also be on the table uh, you for that. Say no to that. Yeah. Um, nobody says no to that. But that's that's the type of back you're looking at. A guy who's versatile, like a, a, a McCaffrey in in Carolina. A, you know, a, a Camara, and, and even Devin Singletary, somebody who's just more of what Devin Singletary brings to the table. So uh, no doubt they're going to bring some guys in to look at. I would not be surprised if they get a guy much like they did Zach Moss and Devin Singletary, a third-round type of guy in this draft, maybe a fifth round, maybe somewhere else um, in free agency. But no doubt they will bring somebody in, and I would look for that somebody to have some traits that stand out. Yeah, I kind of hearken back to the seemingly prevailing opinion 
out there in Bill's fandom that was, oh, my gosh, we got to get a dynamic back for our offense. But, you know, and we heard all the Travis Etienne talk last year in the draft. You know, ultimately he goes to the Jaguars, unfortunately for him, has an injury and never sets foot on the field in the regular season last year. So thinking that way, and I believe that the Bills were taking a long, hard look at some of the running back prospects in the draft pool last year. Obviously, they had some other more pressing positional issues, and I think Buffalo's draft class last year reflected that. Two pass rushers, followed by a couple of offensive linemen. I, I, I'm not saying those needs are, have gone away either, and I think for the most part, Steve, if you're looking in the draft for a running back that offers some of the traits you mentioned, I'm not convinced that this front office puts running back ahead of things like the right. trenches, maybe even wide receiver, um, defensive tackle. Those things might come. Cornerback. I believe those things are higher on the priority list than running back. Would you, in an ideal world, would you like to augment the running back position? Yes. But if there are other things that come ahead of it, it might not get addressed as soon as maybe some fans would like. Because fans gravitate to the skill positions. We all know that. They have their favorites. And, and, you know, the big uglies in the trenches don't get as much attention. And so a lot of times fans gravitate to, ooh, give me the skill guy. Give me that, give me that. You know, and what may help the team more are the people up front on the lines on both sides of the ball. So how it gets, how it shakes out this spring, obviously is going to determine, is going to be determined by what's acquired in free agency and then how the board falls, quite honestly. But yes, I, I think a speed yeah. element would again be welcome in Buffalo's backfield. And I know you've talked about Isaiah McKenzie being an interesting factor, especially late in the season, providing a speed element lining up out of the backfield. But he, too, is a free agent. His future is unknown. I think where McKenzie ends up, whether it's back here or somewhere else, could largely determine how high on the priority list a running back with a speed element might be needed here. Yeah, as the board falls in the draft, and here's the thing, when you get into the draft, you get, you're get you picking from a group of people what you're going to do. And I've seen that this is the way they did it last year and the years past. You look at the guys they have drafted, they have physical traits. Yeah. Tremaine Edmonds, Spencer Brown, Greg Rousseau, Tredavious White. They but, got some guys who physically stand out. But less so at the running back position. Zach Moss and well, Devin Well, here's Singletary. the thing, too. And you get to this point where if the board falls, particularly at this level, you're thinking, okay, I've got a position here we're looking at or some guys we're looking at at different positions, a wide receiver versus a, a running back. Yeah. Uh, last year, you got into the – particularly in the third round where we they may – you know, they got Emmanuel Sanders, they got Steph Diggs, they got Cole Beasley, they got Gabriel Davis – you know, you, you might think, well, they could pick a wide receiver, but he may not be able to crack the starting top five right away. Yep. But this running back in the third round, he's going to give Devin Singletary a run for his money. Yeah, who's he's gonna, making our team? Right, basically. who's going to make the team? Who can contribute right faster? This guy might be a better player in the long run, but we're already neck deep in that position. This guy might help us more if we take him, even though – his upside in the big scheme of themes may not be better. So it may be the way the roster is constructed now when they get to the draft, not only which player they take, but also which position. Let me pose this to you. I don't think anyone 
that watches the Bills, roots for the Bills, has a problem with Devin Singletary. He's a productive player. But I get the sense that this might be somewhat of a Levi Wallace-type situation at the running back position. Levi Wallace has been a consistent performer for Buffalo's defense. You can clearly win with Levi Wallace as a starter on your defense. But sometimes you're left asking yourself, can the Bills do better? The game in the divisional playoff against the Chiefs comes to mind. Do you see the situation in Buffalo's offensive backfield as something similar? Yes, and I think it's typical of you know, the media and fans who you watch and you say, well, you know, we want one of those. You look at other teams and see how well and, and what gives your team problems. Why can't we get one of those guys? Jarek McKinnon. Exactly. Guys like that are hard to come by. They're, they're few and far between. Plus, there's only – you know, you don't get an opportunity to even get the guy if he's drafted. Right. So that's what fan, happens to fans. And you look at your team and what, what are some of the reasons that, or some of the most glaring things that your team could do better. You start pointing at player, this player, that player, this player, those, that group of players, and you say, that's where we need to get better. And that's where Levi Wallace falls into it. He's not as good as Tredavious White when they're both on the field and healthy. So you think, okay, we need better cover. Let's let's get somebody over there who can shut down two number ones. Somebody who's faster. Somebody who's faster. Same thing with Isaiah uh, with uh, Cole Beasley, Isaiah McKenzie. Can we get a guy bigger? Can we get a guy faster? Uh, uh, Same thing with Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. Can we get a guy faster, bigger, catches the ball better, better pass protect? All this stuff. Um, You look around the league. If if you're a fan of the Bills, you think, okay. What do teams hurt us with, and what could we do better? And you start looking at players and running back and cornerback number two are the obvious positions. Last part of this offensive backfield conversation to bring to the table is the prospect of what we have discussed on our daily show, One Bills Live, Steve, positionless football players. You had a guy in Isaiah McKenzie who essentially was – somewhat of a positionless player. He wasn't a full-time wide receiver. He wasn't a full-time running back, but he was positioned in both areas within the scope of this Bills offense this past season. Knowing the Bills after this season are going to have a cost-prohibitive contract assigned to Josh Allen with cap figures upwards of $39, $40 million a year. Is it more valuable for Buffalo's front office to look for a Debo Samuel-type positionless player to augment the running back position and maybe in turn the wide receiving core simultaneously? Or are those even more difficult to find? Um, Yeah, those are unicorn-type players, but you're right. Athletes are abundant in the NFL draft. But some of them never find a home because of the, the situation they're drafted into isn't perfect. Uh, Jamal Adams is a great example. The, the defensive back the Jets took, now he's in Seattle. It's hard to find out what is he. He's a great athlete. There have been a few more on defense yes. of late. Uh, but now you've got guys like Debo Samuel who come in and make a splash. And Christian McCaffrey has been a guy who's been very versatile, who can do some things, can split him out wide, he can run routes. Uh, Marshall Falk back in the day was a guy like that. Corderell Patterson. Corderell Patterson's a great example. A Deion Sanders type of athlete. Now, those guys are, are really unique rare. And rare, very rare. But sure, the question is this have you seen him do that in college? 
And if they used and displayed those skills in college enough that you could say, okay, we're going to plug him in at the higher level against better athletes, and it'll work just as well. Hard to do bringing a guy up to the next level. Easier to do if you see a guy on another team saying, you know what, I think we could use him a couple of different ways that they're not using him. Hmm. Free agency seems a better better way to do that. Right, thing. because you, it, number one, it's hard enough to project a player from the college level to the pro level. Now you're also projecting right. is what he has between the ears elite to handle multiple roles right. in a professional offense. Easier said than done. I mean, it's right. hard enough to project the physical the, talent. And Debo Samuels, he's been he's been in at least his second year, right? I mean, third, I believe. third year. So it's and it's kind of that third year win that's that falls into that third year halo that that wonder year that we call and the it. The offense you know? has remained the same. Offense in has San been the Francisco. same and stuff. And now he's to a point where he feels comfortable and they know him well. So he's a third year player who's finally saying, "Oh wow, look at this." It takes a while yeah. to find out what a guy's really capable of, and it also. For the guy to feel comfortable as a pro athlete, living his life in the offseason, trying to get better, becoming a professional, spending 12 months a year playing football rather than just yeah. three months a year, four months a year. As we move into the numbers game, it too has a running back feel to it. So we were talking about Devin Singletary's career best season in 2021. So Steve, this week's numbers game, we'll focus on that. And we're going to go with the true-false version of the numbers game again okay. instead of having you try to guess Names on a list. So, Devin Singletary, rushing question number one, Steve. Motor had more rushing yards before contact than he had after contact. True or false? Before I was More saying, rushing yards before contact or after contact? True or false? Before contact, not after contact. More I'm, before, we're asking. I'm saying that that would be false. I think he had more yards after contact. You would be correct. It is false, but it was close. Listen to how close. Singletary had 429 yards before contact, 441 after contact, a difference of 12 yards over an entire season. That's pretty, that's tight. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good number. Number two, Devin Singletary rushing question number two. Motor scored all seven of his rushing touchdowns in Buffalo victories. True or false? Are you running through game I by game? Say, well, I can't, I can't remember. It's hard. Them. I'm just saying, if, if he, I'm just trying to figure out if he ran for a touchdown in a loss like Pittsburgh, Tennessee's 31 points. I'll say true, though. I'll say true. That's true. All it is victories. true. It is true indeed. He had all seven of his rushing touchdowns in Buffalo's 11 victories. That's a real quirky stat, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, that's... I don't know if he'll ever do that again. Yeah, because that's all amazing, too. Because you think the loss, the, one of the losses the Bills had, you know, in most of their losses, you know, the... the they're pitch, putting up points. Yeah, they're putting up points. Crazy. Which, which means somebody's got to score those touchdowns, right? So, yeah. yeah. It's amazing. Devin Singletary rushing question number three. Motor had almost twice as many carries in home games than he did in away games. True or false? Twice as Okay, so there's nine home games instead of eight. I don't know. I'm going to say false. I don't think that's true. It is true. Really? He had 120 carries at home compared to just 68 on the road. 
So more than 63% of Singletary's carries came that's in home games this year. I wonder if that's a conscious decision. Yes. Well, as you mentioned, as you astutely deduced, the Bills did have one more home game than away right. game. So it was probably going to be higher. Sure. Um, so that's a part of it. But it shouldn't be almost a two-to-one ratio. That's nuts. Yeah, that would... That strikes me. And now some of it, too, I mean, you think about it, it was, you know, you had the the weather was just unbelievable this year, all the way from September. At home. Yeah, at home. All yeah. the way from September all the way through January. So you're saying that might precipitate a few more carries. Maybe. No pun intended. I just said precipitate, and I wasn't maybe. even trying to well, do And that. you had the, the, the New England game with 40-mile-an-hour winds. I get all that. I, maybe, but, man, oh, man, yeah, I, I think that's more – that's got to be a conscious decision when the Bills are. Got to be home. game plan related a little bit, but maybe weather related slightly. But that's a fat. It's a big difference. R- it's a big difference. It's a big difference. Yeah, interesting. Devin Singletary rushing question number four. Motors' highest yards per carry average took place in the fourth quarter this past season. True or false? I'll say that's probably true. I'll say that's true. It is false. <sighs> His highest yards per carry average this season was in the first quarter. 4.96 yards per carry in the first quarter. His yards per carry average in the fourth quarter was second. 4.74 yards per carry. Still good averages at the start and finish of games. So I'm two and two now. I've lost, got two right. Yeah, you're two two right, two wrong. So here's the the rubber match question, if you will. Devin Singletary rushing question number five. Motorhead... His highest yards per carry average running outside this season. True or false? I'll say true. It is indeed true, Steve. Singletary averaged 5.25 yards per carry on runs to the outside. And I'm picturing a lot of those pin and pull concept runs. You know, he's got Mitch Morse out in front of him. You know, maybe Ryan Bates, somebody like that. His second best average was off guard, 4.97 yards per carry. And those are usually those read option gives where right. he takes it up inside. He doesn't get so it. So it, it makes yards, sense yeah. why those two types of runs mm-hmm. were his most productive this season. All right, you got three out of five, Steve. Right. Batting 600 there on the, on the uh, numbers game. Good job. You can live like that. We move on to the kicking game. And while Tyler Bass has certainly proven he's going to be Buffalo's kicker for a while after two very successful professional seasons, our good friends at 538.com have pointed out how ridiculously consistent NFL kickers have been this postseason. We know that Tyler Bass didn't even attempt a field goal in Buffalo's two playoff games because all the Bills' offense was doing was scoring touchdowns. But collectively in the postseason, NFL kickers prior to the Super Bowl we're 41 of 46 on field goal attempts. That's an 89% success rate. And it's the fifth highest ever in a single postseason. Seven of those 41 kicks have come from beyond 50 yards, putting them only two behind the all-time postseason record of nine that was set in last year's playoffs. And it's not like it's not like a lot of these kicks weren't pressure-packed. Right. Divisional playoff weekend. We saw three walk-off field goals. So why are the kickers so damn good even when the stakes are high? I'll say this. I, I think some of it is because they've become more important in today's game because teams are maximizing 
and hitting the margins more and taking points when they can get it. I think they they have you know because of analytics, they're giving the kickers opportunities, and plus the kickers are getting more fifty plus yard opportunities as well. But I also think too at the postseason, because they're more important, it takes a good one to get to the postseason. So you're the good ones the are best the ones. Of the best. You're seeing the best because I think because they're so important, teams don't get there without one. And so you're seeing the best guys. Pretty darn impressive numbers, though. And, it, you know, I think the game is probably as specialized as it's ever been. You know, you got three guys in most cases, you know, working together all the time. It's not like Frank Reich's over there running scout team and I'll come hold a little bit later right. type of thing. You know what I mean? You have almost... I would say 98% of the punters in the league are the designated holders. Right. So you've got three guys working that operation from start to finish at practice. Right. I think they're just flat out better because they're getting more reps through the course of a season in the practice setting. I think that helps too. The Bengals' Evan McPherson is responsible for three of the seven 50-yard-plus field goals that have been made this postseason, including the game winner from 52 yards against Tennessee in the divisional playoff. Even more impressive this postseason, Steve, is the kickers have already attempted the most field goals in the fourth quarter or overtime in league history for one postseason. 15 was the previous high. This year, they've already attempted 19, and they've made 18 of them, including four of four from 50 yards plus. Is executing in the clutch to this degree just a byproduct of the three-man kicking unit all being able to work together all the time? It's yeah, got to be part yes. of it, right? Yeah, that's part of it. No question about it. They, they've got it like clockwork. Uh, professional long snappers make a difference. Professional kickers make a difference. The professional holder makes a difference. And the fact that they can do that. And they've got – and now, of course, now they've got special teams coordinators who are on them making sure they're up to snuff and timing them, making sure – giving them time to do it. And I think, too, forget – it was only in, in our lifetime, my lifetime, where not every team had a special teams coordinator anyway. Yeah, uh, it was only in the mid '80s where teams said, "Oh, listen, we've got to start taking this more seriously," and that's when when my career began, and that's when uh, I think things really started to ratchet up, and you'll see it continue to go up and up and up as as the you know years go by and the players coming up are more and more polished coming out of college and at lower levels they get more polished and they come up and they're, see, they're now, even better when they be, become professional. I, I think that's the other part of it too. Because now you've got kids in youth football that are kickers, like right. from age eight. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you used to have kids playing football, you know, at the youth level for the longest time. And it'd be like, hey, uh, who can kick it a long way? Uh, yeah, why don't you just line up and kick for us? Like that's right. how it used to be in youth football. Oh, yeah. Now you've got designated kids going to kicking camps and oh, yeah. from like age 9, 10, 11. You didn't have that 30 kicking, years ago. Private kicking coaches, no question about it. And it's, I mean, I, when I played high school, I was the all-conference kicker. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So it was just a... You're an it, example it of was an, how it's It was it's an changed. extra thing uh, that was done. Now, you get just one more opportunity for some some young person to come out and be a part of the team and, be, and, and contribute. Um, it's a great opportunity. I've said this a lot. If you've got a kid who's a little, you know, doesn't have to be huge anymore, Just but if you've got a, a big kid, doesn't even have to have a leg. If he can snap, teach him to oh, long snapper. snap. Oh, snapper, yeah, yeah, yeah. Teach him to long snap. Those guys, uh, a team, an NFL team would not take the field without one. 
They would not do it. College teams, Power 5 schools, would not dream of going into a season without a really good long snapper, a kid who's – that's what he does. They recruit him. Um, they scholarship him. Well, look at the Ferguson brothers. That's Reed, right. Reed and Blake Ferguson, who play for the Bills and the Dolphins respectively, full rides to LSU. That's right. Because they could do one thing extraordinarily well. Yeah, and, and it's – so it, it – you start, 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 start talking about kids who do it from the time they're – youngsters all the way up and get some good instruction, have the opportunity to do it, um, it, it turns into the statistics we see today where yeah. kickers are making 90% of their kicks and they're, they're four for four from outside 50. Kickers were great on pressure kicks in general this year. According to 538.com, in the 2021 regular season, they were 71 for 83 in the final two minutes of the fourth quarter, 85.5% success rate. That's the most makes and attempts in those situations of any season since at least 2000, even when adjusted for the league's new 17-game schedule. The 85.5% make rate on those kicks is the second best this century behind only 2003 when 87.8% of those kinds of kicks were made. This year's haul included a 10-for-16 mark on 50-plus yarders in the last two minutes of the fourth quarter, one was, of course, the record-breaking 66-yarder from Ravens kicker Justin Tucker, perhaps the best kicker of this generation, that beat the Detroit Lions as time expired all the way back in Week 3. A reminder, FanDuel fans, right now, new customers can get their first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just sign up today by going to sportsbook.fanduel.com or by downloading the FanDuel Sportsbook app. FanDuel Sportsbook, an official partner of the Buffalo Bills. We close out this edition of Bills by the Numbers with our one burning question. Super Bowl 56, Steve, Bengals versus Rams. I will first submit the most interesting stat regarding this matchup. Dozens of numbers have been tossed out by umpteen number of pregame shows, you know, review shows, analyst shows, whatever the case might be. I found this fascinating. These two teams tied for seventh in the league in scoring as they both averaged an identical 27 points per game. In the postseason, L.A. has moved that up a tick. They've averaged 28 points per game in the playoffs. Cincinnati's points per game average has slid back a little bit. They've averaged 24 points per game. So, Steve, what do you expect in the ultimate game? Uh, this is the way I see it. L.A.'s got some pressure on them. They are a star-studded, bought-and-paid-for mercenary team who was brought in for one purpose, as to win a championship in L.A. Matt Stafford, newest addition. OBJ, newest addition. Um, Von Miller. Von Miller, newest addition. And then, of course, uh, Jalen Ramsey also brought in. All these, they've got some guys who are all-time greats at their position for other franchises now playing for the Rams, and, and they're playing at home in their own stadium. That's a lot of pressure for them. The Cincinnati Bengals came from absolutely nowhere. They have every reason to go out and play loose and free and easy, and that's the mentality you want in a big game like this. Just play like it doesn't matter and play your best and trust your own discipline and your instincts and just let them go and play free and easy, and you play much better and much more effectively. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, and I'll, I'll say this. Despite some of the games that I was in at this – Super Bowls that I was in, um, when it didn't always end up this way, the first few minutes will tell you how it's going to go. Mm. 
Um, certainly there have been games where that didn't hold true, but man, oh man, it's, I, I think it'll, it'll tell you where these teams are. Now, certainly the Rams have just, were just there three or four years ago and the Bengals, none of their players know what that's like, except for Andrew Whitworth, who was with the Rams or with, with, Cincinnati, with, with Cincinnati, with yeah. Cincinnati. Yeah. So I think, I think you're going to know early where the mental, the emotional state of these teams are because let's face it, the, the last two weeks ago in the championship round and this this game as well, all four of the teams in the championship round, the Chiefs, the Bengals, the Rams, the 49ers, all four of those teams were good enough on any given Sunday to beat any of the other three teams. It's going to come down to how they approach it mentally and how they show up on that game. Yeah, and I, the, I agree with you on from the standpoint of the Bengals don't even know they're not supposed to be here. Right. At least in terms of the, what everybody thought was going to happen. In terms, if, if you're picking teams to be in the Super Bowl, the Bengals were not high on the list. They're, they've got some youth on their team that doesn't know any better, and that's almost a better way to go into a game of this magnitude. They, they got nothing to lose. They're playing in the Rams building. They know all the pressures on them. They can just go out and play, and that's got somewhat of an advantage. And I'm going to submit the very unconventional uh, addition to where I think the game is going to go. The popular television show, The Simpsons, okay? Yeah, yeah. Time and time and time again, they have successfully predicted the future. And I think there are a lot of people out there that are convinced that one of the writers on that show is a time traveler because the amount of stuff that has come out to be true far into the future that has been a, that has appeared in an episode of The Simpsons is uncanny. I mean, there are too many examples. And there is one that was resurfaced on social media and brought to everyone's attention. It has the Bengals beating the Rams, or at least an L.A. team, 34-31. If that ends up being the final score, I don't know what to think anymore. I'm there is a time traveler somewhere go back and on the Simpsons staff. If start that, watching the Simpsons. If that proves to be true, it's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. Um, but I think it could happen. I think the Bengals are good enough to beat the Rams. They, they definitely are good enough. And um, I like that score, 34-31, it, so it makes I'm rolling with it. The, the era that we're playing in, you got to think that both these teams think they got to get 30 points to win this game. Both teams have the weapons. Both teams have a quarterback that's playing at a high level. And I think Joe Burrow and the Bengals just may be young and naive enough to think, why not? Yeah. This is us. This is our game. I, I thought, And there's our, nothing that says it isn't. Yeah, I thought on our daily show, One Bills Live, that, that you drew a very good comparison – to the 1981 Super Bowl between the Philadelphia Eagles and at that time they were still the Oakland, Oakland Raiders. Raiders. yeah. And the Raiders came in loosey-goosey and nothing, you know, didn't really put a lot into the practice week leading up to the big game. Meanwhile, Dick Vermeil had his team as tight as a drum, no fooling around, tight curfews. He's putting masking tape on the hotel room doors <laughs> to make sure everybody isn't getting out. Uh and they were just a little too tight in that game, and the Raiders rolled them. I mean, rolled them. Yeah, they did. I don't think that's going to happen, but I do think the Bengals somehow, someway are going to win this game and shock the world. So we'll see what happens. That'll do it for this edition of Bills by the Numbers, presented by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Please subscribe to our show on whatever podcast platform you use so you know when the next episode is available for selection. And remember... 
When you need to know about the Bills, you need to check Bills by the Numbers. For Steve Tasker, I'm Chris Brown. Enjoy the Super Bowl, everybody.